0: speaks to us of expectation of hope of desire as we are in god's presence as he looks at us expectantly wanting and desiring our personal conversation our attention our affection and our love let's turn to psalm 42 the psalm that we are so familiar with to help us foster, in this time of Advent, this true, sincere desire, an expectant desire for God to fill our hearts and our minds with the grace that he wants to give us. The psalm tells us, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? As a deer longs for flowing streams, this image of thirst, of this animal being parched and its sole focus being uh, to arrive at that nourishment, at that water, to be satisfied, St. Thomas More, when he was in the Tower of London, awaiting his eminent death, in his prayer book, read and prayed on this psalm, and he scribbled in the margin next to this psalm, blessed is the man who can say these words. In other words, the insight of someone who was about to pour out his life in faithful witness to the truth of God, And to do it lovingly, blessed is the man who can say that my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Lord, we ask you in our prayer, simplify our desire. Simplify it in the sense of help it to not be refracted in many petty, unhelpful desires, worries, concerns, and anxieties. Help us to have this inner integrity, this unity, where what drives us and moves us, no matter what we might be doing in a particular moment, is this thirst, this desire for you. And in this way, we will be living and moving with the grain of the natural desire of our hearts and of our souls. Time and time again in the Gospels, we see... People who have perhaps not great faith, they don't have deep understanding. Their knowledge of who Jesus is is very incomplete and perhaps just an intuition. But what they do have is sincere desire. And one of the expressions of this sincere desire is that they're shameless about it. Bartimaeus, the blind man waiting at the side of the road. And as Jesus is passing by, his desire is to see, to be made whole, to be able to experience life in its fullness, not in a a truncated way. And so he cries out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And even though the people who are around him tell him to be quiet, even though what he was doing was socially out of place, he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me crying out shamelessly, even though the people around him tell him to be quiet. This desire, the purity of it, uh, the shamelessness of it, this is something that we want to imitate. But we need to imitate it recognizing that it is a grace, recognizing that it's something we can't simply conjure up for ourselves simply by wanting it or desiring it, but we also need to receive it. And this is what we try to do in our prayer. And this is why we try to contemplate um, our Lord's presence. We contemplate these actions of the gospels. Very recently, probably you saw it in the news, Pope Francis in Rome, in one of his Wednesday audiences, uh, had the audience hijacked a little bit by this young boy from argentina who came running up onto the stage and he started wandering around and tugging on the swiss guards who kind of awkwardly stood there not knowing exactly what to do and finally his mother came rushing up onto the stage to explain to the father as if it were an excuse that they were from argentina and that this is what was going on And the popes, you know, kind of somehow knowingly accepted that, that this is what was happening. And everyone laughed and it was, you know, it went viral, the video of it around the internet and a lot of news outlets uh, posted it. But what's interesting is how the pope, being a man of prayer, being someone who is constantly reflecting on these ideas, the comment that he made at the end of the audience, he just kind of reflected on what had just happened. And he said, this boy... Can't talk, he's mute. I'm talking about the situation of this boy. But he knows how to communicate, he knows how to express himself. He has something that made me think. He is free. An undisciplined freedom, but he is free. It made me think Am I also free like that before God? When Jesus says that we have to become like children, he tells us that we have to have the freedom that a child has before his father. I think he preached to all of us, speaking of this little boy. Let's ask for the grace that this boy can speak. At the end, Holy Father invites everyone to pray for a miracle for this, this young child. But it's, it's very helpful for us now as we are trying to pray as we are thinking about the circumstances of my own soul, of how I am before God and how I am before others. To be moved as Pope Francis was by this undisciplined freedom. Undisciplined in the sense that obviously there's a way in which you know the boy shouldn't have been running up on the stage and as he gets older, it's better for him to not do that sort of thing. Okay, undisciplined. But the beginning of a freedom in the sense that he wasn't uh, inhibited by the expectations of others, but was able to really understand what he truly desired. The way in which the expectations of others influence us and cause us to do what we want to do is perhaps one of the most... uh, Prevalent and powerful reasons why we don't actually experience freedom. Have the feeling of it. The consciousness of being before God our Father and living in the middle of the world as a child. As an heir. Just to take a little side road down this theme. And, and to kind of use, I hope will be helpful for us to think about this. In... African American literature. There is a theme that a lot of critics comment upon, and it goes back to uh, one of the earliest um, African American intellectuals, a man by the name of W. E. B. Du Bois, who wrote at the end of the nineteenth century. And the theme is called double consciousness. And I'll just read in an essay that this fellow wrote, Du Bois, at the at the end of the nineteenth century. He kind of described how this double consciousness arose from their uh, experience of slavery. And he says, it is a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity. One never feels this two-ness, an American and Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one body whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. Actually, I should have said one ever feels this two-ness, not one never. This being split, Between what others are expecting of me, how they are measuring, and even what the point is, is how this can become internalized. And I can have an interior voice, not outside of me, but precisely in my own head, telling me how I should be. That expectation of perfection, of getting a 10 out of 10 always, and what that should look like, and how it should feel and how that voice becomes an accusatory voice when I don't achieve that. And it's that voice, not the desire of my heart, that moves me and drives me. St. Paul actually had to address a similar issue because among the first Christians, of course, there were slaves. And in several of his letters, St. Paul speaks precisely to those slaves. And he addresses this phenomenon of double consciousness. He doesn't use the phrase, but he speaks to it nevertheless. In his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ. And here, what's hard to pick up in in the translation here is that in the Greek, which is what St. Paul is writing in, The word for Lord and the word for Master is the same, kurios. That's what we say in the Mass when we say, kirie eleison, Lord have mercy. So St. Paul is intentionally playing on that ambiguity to say, well, you have an earthly kurios, an earthly Lord, but the real Lord, the one that I want you to live for and to understand that is at the receiving end of all of your actions is the One kurios, Lord, Jesus, the Christ. So he says, okay, outwardly, you know, you're in this circumstance, you have to, you know, obey them, you're in this, I can't change your outward circumstance, but I want to change your inward circumstance by awakening you to the reality and the possibility of working with singleness of heart as you obey Christ. And then he says, not only while being watched, And in order to please them, the earthly lords, but as slaves of Christ, the Lord, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. St. Paul suggests to those first Christians who found themselves in a situation of slavery that the way for them to live as free men and women was to live with singleness of heart. So he says, doing the will of God from the heart, which is the opposite of this double consciousness. Because the thing is, is that uh, there's a way, and this is a subtle line here, that we can be inspired by other people's expectations and desires to do what we do. And that doesn't take away our freedom. For example, if I know that someone that I care about really enjoys a particular thing, well, that can inspire me to do it for that person. And that's not a lack of freedom. In fact, it can actually increase and augment my freedom because I'm doing it lovingly. And love and freedom are the same thing in the end inspiration that the desire other desires inspire me but it's a different thing when other people's desires and expectations cause me to do what i'm doing when they those desires and expectations are what actually move me it's almost as if that tape measure that dubois speaks about kind of hijacks me and is what moves me and i become an ex uh, spectator of what I'm actually doing instead of the person who's actually doing it and feeling it and experiencing it. The idea of acting out of duty instead of out of love and out of freedom. St. Paul, in this words to Ephesians, he, he says doing things not, not only while being watched and the, the word that he literally that he uses there would literally translate this as not doing it out of eye service or out of I slavery? Do I work in that way? Do I live in that way? Is there a way in which inside of me what drives me is not the desire of my heart, this longing that the deer has for the flowing streams? desire that the psalmist spoke of, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when shall I come and behold his face? And that that's what's moving me to do what I do. Or is it that double consciousness, that expectation, that I service? As we consider this, and as we ask for the light of the Holy Spirit to to shine into our desires, I think the way forward is not that we do a lot of navel-gazing and overthink ourselves. The way forward is to increase our desire. That singleness of heart, to be more like that Argentinian boy on the stage. More willing to risk, more willing to be like Bartimaeus. Lord, that I may see, help me to have genuine desire and love. Free me from the tape measure of others or even from the tape measure of myself, which is worse altogether. And help me to have a desire that is restless and longing and desiring for you. those famous words of St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until it rests in him. And one of the ways that we stifle that restless heart is with that I-service, that I-slavery. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, spoke in a very similar way about this Augustinian understanding of desire. When he says, in a very C.S. Lewis sort of way, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And this is really where our ascetical struggle, our striving to grow in virtue. This is the space where it happens, overcoming this tendency that we have to be too easily pleased. That instead of desiring and longing for the face of God, we just want to be comfortable. That instead of wanting to be people who love, we just want life to not hurt that much. For things to be just okay today. All right. We settle. We make do. And in a way, it's understandable. Because you see, to love and to have big desires is to run the risk of being hurt. And we don't like that. We avoid it. But Lord, help us to see, inspire us by the example of your life and by the lives of the saints that the price of settling for half-hearted desire is to betray our own heart, to betray that desire that is constantly driving and moving us forward. I mentioned this before, and I think it's no harm to come back to it and to repeat it. This audience that Pope Benedict uh, gave a number of years ago, uh, precisely on this point of desire. And it's quite an elaborate audience that he gets into, and and it would really uh, take us far afield in terms of our prayer. But in it, he talks about the need for a kind of education, a mentoring of our desire. And that we need this in order that we might have a more authentic and immediate experience of God. And then in that audience, he talks about what such a mentoring, what such an education of our heart, of our desire, would involve. In a way, how we could get beyond this tendency to have a double consciousness, to be split inside of ourselves, and grow and arrive at this singleness of heart, to be those kind of happy people who can say what the psalmist says when like a deer he longs for those flowing streams and pope benedict says in the first place such an education of the heart and of the desire should lead us to discover or rediscover the taste of the authentic joy of life our relationship with god our striving to come closer to him is not simply what happens when we are before the Blessed Sacrament, praying. It's what happens when we're walking to work. It's what happens when we're talking to someone else. It's what happens when we're by ourselves and we're struggling to not overthink something that is bothering us or something that we have to do the next day. It's our ability to enjoy the beauty of nature. It's our ability to, in fact, enjoy The challenges and the suffering that are involved in being more generous with other people. The taste of the authentic joy of life. Pope Benedict continues, not all satisfactions have the same effect on us. Some leave a positive aftertaste, able to calm the soul and make us more active and generous. Others, however, after the initial delight, seem to disappoint the expectations that they had awakened and sometimes leave behind them a sense of bitterness, dissatisfaction, or emptiness. And it's a very very gentle, very uh, very simple description of what happens not only when we sin, but when we give in. When we settle half-heartedly for comfort that relying on distraction that relying on postponing things when we give in to procrastination it seems that in the particular moment when we do that that it'll be a little bit better we'll be happier we'll feel better but our experience when we look back on that of what we've done is we can see this sense of dissatisfaction bitterness of emptiness None of us ever looks back and say, Oh, I just I wasted so much time today, and whoo, I just feel great, you know. It's just so happy about today because I just didn't achieve anything I wanted to do, and you know, I kept on giving into thinking about myself, and I was really resentful of the people around me. And uh, in the moment when we did those things, we maybe felt that we were giving into something that was easier, we settled for a comfort. But it's in that looking back that we can discern. I was deceived. The Holy Father goes on. He says, instilling in someone from a young age the taste for true joy in every area of life, family, friendship, solidarity with those who suffer, self-renunciation for the sake of the other, love of knowledge, art, the beauty of nature. All of this means exercising the inner taste And producing antibodies that can fight the trivialization and the dulling so widespread today. So very, very specifically what the Holy Father is encouraging us to do to foster this desire. Yes, we need prayer. Yes, we need contemplation and that allowing the Holy Spirit to integrate us. But that needs to go hand in hand from a very natural, if you like, human perspective we are actively practicing this ability to enjoy authentic joys, precisely because they're authentic, working well, being able to listen, to overcome personal preference and make allowance for the people that I live with, putting their needs first and understanding that there is actually a joy in serving and giving myself, But I need to experience this, you see, not just because I'm told, not just because I'm saying it right now in this meditation and oh, this is what we're, okay, this is the principle I need to follow. It's something that I have to assimilate, metabolize it in a sense, figure it out for myself. And to figure it out for myself, we need to give ourselves that space, that shamelessness, the little Argentinian boy up on the stage. That my goal is not to try to get it right. My goal is to try to love in an authentically true way, serving others and God with singleness of heart. And if I put my foot in it, if I get it wrong, well, that too is a chance for me to love. Is a chance for me to be forgiven, to be pardoned. And I win in that case too. What well, we need to remind ourselves of is that authentic Christian striving always puts us in a win-win situation. I win when I win and I win when I lose. Either way, I'm growing. Either way, if I allow myself in humility, the Holy Spirit, perhaps without my fully realizing it, is assimilating me to Christ. It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. If I'm aligning myself, with that true desire of my heart and with God's will for me, his calling me by name in all the circumstances of my life. Just to finish with Pope Benedict's words, he says, adults too need to rediscover this joy, to desire authenticity, to purify themselves of the mediocrity that might infest them. What Saint Louis, C.S. Lewis was talking about, that we desire too little, we're half-hearted. It will then, the Holy Father says, become easier to drop or reject everything that, although attractive, proves to be, in fact, insipid, a source of indifference and not of freedom. The more we practice and experience this authentic joy of life, the more we are liberating ourselves liberating ourselves from this insipidness, from this indifference. We're running out of time, but I I wanted us to conclude just with a bit of a suggestion, mentioning this thing, of experiencing the authentic joy of life. But that in our prayer to educate and to form and to, to, to foster this authentic desire Something that can be very helpful as well is that we rely a little bit less on words. Now, maybe this is a bit ironic because I've been bombarding you with the last 25 minutes with words. But it's also that in your prayer and in other moments as well, the the ideas can help you foster that desire without necessarily needing to rely on words. Because... If the time that I spent in prayer, whether it's in front of the blessed sacrament or whether it's when I'm by myself in the car or just working away, if I'm constantly just in a cloud of words, talking to myself, that monologue, that thought, that feeling, the the thought that I had about the feeling that I had about that thought, if I get caught in that tangle, it's hard for that desire to grow, for it to flow So it's good for us to intentionally and actively foster a silence in our minds, in our interior, as we expectantly reach out to our Lord. I'd like to end with these words of St. Augustine, who in a commentary on one of the Psalms speaks about how we are to sing a new song, to sing a new song to the Lord. And he asks us, he says, how can we sing this new song, a song that gives pleasure to God? And he says, you must first understand that words cannot express the things that are sung by the heart. Words get in the way. And then he uses an example, something that he would have seen kind of in in the, the country life of northern Africa. He says, take the case of people singing while harvesting in the fields or in the vineyards, or when any other strenuous work is in progress. Although they begin by giving expression to their happiness in sung words, yet shortly there is a change. As if so happy that words can no longer express what they feel, they discard the restricting syllables. They burst out into a simple sound of joy, of jubilation. Such a cry of joy is a sound signifying that the heart is bringing to birth what it cannot utter in words. Lord, we ask you to help us cast off the restricting syllables to allow the joy that you arouse in our hearts to come to birth and that it come to birth as well in our actions in a work that is for you, with that singleness of heart, and a friendship that is genuine, loyal, and sincere. And that our relationship with you be something that constantly brings us deeper and deeper to the need to not have to use words, but to be with you as contemplatives. Because each and every one of us is called, as Saint Jose Maria would remind us, to be precisely that. Contemplatives in the middle of our day-to-day life, the things that we're doing, And the the heart of that contemplation, literally, sorry for the pun, the heart of that contemplation is a heart singing without words, striving and working in singleness of heart. Let's ask our Mother Mary as we look forward with expectation to that great feast of her Immaculate Conception, which we will celebrate in a few days, to give us that pureness and that singleness of heart.